everything inside of the gym that's classic training now is happening straight up and down. It's not happening side to side. It's not happening forward and backwards. It's definitely not spinning, right? So we're missing interaction with the environment, which is just the first piece of physical literacy. Um, and and that's a that's a huge part of our program that we that we absolutely aim to include is moving in as many different ways as we possibly can and getting kids to fully understand how to interact with their environment before doing that quickly, heavier for more repetitions, etc. Welcome to the Movable Podcast, where we interview using education, movement, and play from around the world. Here's your host, my daddy, Brian Wayne. Today's guests have been on a mission to do what's best for kids and teens for decades. Their method and training philosophy has now spread to gyms and schools around the world, and they have recently partnered with OPEX to develop the Professional Youth Coach Certification course. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Jeff Mickey and Keegan Martin of the Brand X Method. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Brian. Thank yeah. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. So as I was researching you guys a little bit, I noticed that you guys, I guess, officially started in 1999 with a the Brand X martial arts side of things. What was it like starting, what, over 20 years ago now, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, we were 20 years younger, so we had a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a different environment. I mean, anybody yeah. looking at just society in the last 20 years, everything's changed. Mm-hmm. So um, really different in that. But um, starting with martial arts, that was Jeff's passion for years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of passed to him to elaborate. Okay. One thing I'd like to like say is, you know, first of all, our kind of our, our wedge or our kind of our introduction into functional fitness came from the martial arts. We were, um, a kind of a big M little a martial arts. We, we, so I had guys who were trying to train for, um, for, you know, for fights. We had owned, before okay. we owned Grand X, we owned a, a boxing gym downtown. We trained professional fighters and we had, oh, wow. So we had this, this kind of this, um, uh, passion really to prepare people as we moved away from the, from, the ring to the street to do reality based martial arts to, to prepare people for the rigors of, of um, what might happen on the street, self defense. So, in, the, mm-hmm. in, that, in that frame of mind, there was this idea that um, if you can't get away from a situation in, in the street and you have to fight, th- there is nobody to ring the bell. There is no, there is no, t- you know, you have three options you put the person on the ground um, or you fight till somebody comes to help you. And that's mm-hmm. it. So, are you wrong? Or you, or you, or you fight well enough that you can get away and run. Yeah, um, sure. But the idea was that people had to be physically fit enough to do that. And we were watching in our classes, we do drills, and the kid and people would just start to you know, kind of fall apart. Okay. Um, we kind of evaluated and, and looking at different um, uh, ways of increasing fitness, and we ran across CrossFit. And um, we are no longer associated. We're no longer associated with them, but. Um, one of the things we did was start to bring that into our youth martial arts classes and the kids ate it up. The kids loved, um, loved it. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a jumping off point for us there. And, and also I think the, the idea of how we trained or how we taught 
kind of um, started there. So in the martial arts with an adult, you could say, I want you to do, you know, X, Y, Z moves, one, two, three. With a kid mm -hmm. starting at seven years old, we had to go, you need to put your feet here. We're going to practice that for two months. Now we're going to do what should be here and we're going to bring our hands to this position. Yeah. And that really started to come down to you know, how we kind of tiered teaching movement, breaking movement down to its smallest pieces, teaching that, um, uh, teaching those pieces, getting those, getting those pieces and parts of the movement uh, set with the kids so that they could um, you know, re replicate the same position over and over and over again. And then yeah. having together to, to get the whole movement and it's one of the reasons why kids coming out of our gym had such i think such stellar movement they moved efficiently effectively and and, and safely and that's not easy to do anyone who's been around kids or taught kids knows that it's one thing to teach them how to do something correctly but to get them to repeat that over and over and over in different situations are those are two different things also, also it gave us the opportunity just simply to work with kids and mm -hmm. begin to understand how to relate to them, how, how to motivate them, how to um, encourage them and use positive language and, and all of the things that are associated with how to how do children learn best, how to optimize the experience. And so we way back then that was starting when we were teaching martial arts. Okay, thinking through, well, what's a better way to deliver this? What should mm -hmm. we uh, investigate? so that we know best how to deliver this. You know, we weren't teachers, so we had to become, by looking at all the information, you know, we had to learn how, how best to educate kids. And we did, so, you know, we, the, we never thought, and still don't think that we have, we've solved it, we've solved the problem, we have the answer, this is it, boom, deliver it. It's always about learning, it's always about addressing what's in the society and trying to figure out what's happening and how do we how do we get um, kids to move well um, given the new circumstances that we're seeing keegan used to call this like we had you know version one and then version two and then version three yeah <laughs> and, 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 and you know the, the version we have now where we're really focused on physical literacy really um, has roots way back in the beginning because what mm -hmm. we wanted to do was always develop kids who could step out of the gym and do whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. We never wanted the kids necessarily to be good at gymming. We wanted the kids to come to the gym to be good at, at the stuff they could do, you know, the yeah. sport they want to do outside. But, outside. Mm -hmm. but it took on a real significance maybe, maybe uh, 2012 when we started realizing that kids – just stopped having access to what we called normal human movements. You'd watch a kid who was, you know, already, I remember 2014 taking video of kids who had just started with us and they were unable, you know, a 12 year old boy unable who, who played athletics, who played soccer and played baseball and those kind of things. Couldn't, couldn't, um, couldn't skip. Hmm. Couldn't uh, bear crawl. Like I had wow. like 60 years old, have to get down on the floor and teach a 12 year old how to bear crawl. Yeah. Um, they couldn't jump. So we, we would hold them and we'd say, okay, like um, 2005, someone come in the gym and 12 years old, you say, jump, I'm going to broad jump. And they go, boom, they jump. 2012, someone come in the gym and you say, jump. And they go, you know, no, with both feet. Wow. And that came up, Mickey coined the term uh, movement gaps. We just saw this, I, this, uh, this loss of fundamental movement 
patterns and the ability to grasp those. So there was just like a gap in neurology. Like they just never learned how to do that. Hmm. And then we, of course, see that corresponding rise in, in injury and sport. And yep. you see the, the kids, you take a kid who can't skip, who can't jump, who can't um, side shuffle correctly. Um, and you put him on a football field and you say, okay, you're high school now, play football. Mm-hmm. Or playing soccer. Why? why yep. you know, and your knee just gave out. Well, yeah, there goes their ACL. Yeah, you, it's because uh, in large part, it isn't just getting stronger. It isn't just playing. It's that they haven't, they've missed something in the movement. So our, kind of running back to the, to the original question. So our program became, you know, how do we break movement down like, like physical literacy down? How do we teach mm-hmm. them to throw with both hands? How do we teach, how do we teach them to skip? To, and those kind of things. It's funny, you know, back at the beginning, um, you know, when it was, that just, just martial arts, I think we started to utilize, you know, training for kids because martial arts was in, in large for, for, for children, you know, under 10 years old, it was extremely counterintuitive to what they wanted to do, right? It was sit down, pay attention to one person who was working and then listen to feedback so that you could implement it yourself. And it was completely counterintuitive to what, you know, kids wanted to do. And so the physical fitness side of it, as far as implementing it into the martial arts that we were doing was more or less to get kids to pay attention. And then that morphed into, you know, how can we, you know, take this and utilize it as a tool to make them better at whatever it is that they want to exceed at, you know, outside of the gym. Um, And then that morphed into, you know, not just how do we communicate, you know, better with these kids and provide them community to, you know, what scientifically do children actually need every step along the way to make training effective for them. So the whole way through, it was really implementing what's best for children, whether that was in, in, inside of the, 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 the context of a martial arts system to simply, you know, now uh, a, a um, youth development system that's, that's based around doing what's best for kids. And that's, that's, that's what we focus on now is, you know, building the whole human being uh, mentally, mm-hmm. physically, emotionally. And uh, that's what we've come to be known, you know, for. Now, I would, I would imagine that's, that would be the thing that has probably kept you guys in business for a little over 20 years because of this. Because when I think of the fitness or the uh, training field, it's really a fad kind of a field to be in. And I think it's rare to have a lot of gyms stay together and stay in business for as long as you guys have, because one minute people want uh Thai bow back in the day, or then they want this, or there's so many different things that you could do. So to have a gym like yours stay in business this long, like I said, is rare. We did close our physical location in 2018. To oh, focus. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, which was 20 years um, to focus on, uh, how we could serve more kids mm-hmm. and really run a, the day-to-day at a gym and those programs and then do serve more kids. And it just, we couldn't do all of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that was sort of a natural progression with the, the entrance of OPEX as well and um, moving locations. But we do have uh, three training centers around the world that are considered labs, which okay. means a lab, they do R and D for us with kids. So we'll mm-hmm. get, ideas were still always evolving you know we need to implement this thing we learned we need to try that out what's the best way to make it work we send that to those labs and they come back to us with we tried it it worked it didn't work here's how you can adjust it so that we still have that going on Mm -hmm. but 
to go back to your commentary about fads, yeah. um, our, it comes back to intent with kids, right? Mm -hmm. Our intent is to do what's best for them. And so that's the, taking a long view. We have to take the long view on we want them to be healthy forever. So that's that's huge. That's big audacious goals. We mm -hmm. have we have to be looking at things that are long term. It's the opposite of a fad. Mm -hmm. we, have to we might use faddish things to engage them temporarily for this month. You know that we'll we'll have them. What was that dance everybody was doing? What was the flossing? Oh we yeah, that in there because it's fun for them today. But we mm -hmm. know it's gone now, right? Now it's yep. gone. Don't do that. So you <laughs> can throw that in and make use of it for a long-term goal of a healthy lifetime. Mm -hmm. I think the how do you combat fads? Well, yeah. first of all, you know, understand that there's there should be a difference or a difference between why adults go to the gym and why kids come to the gym. So you know, Correct. adults go to the gym, and, and James is is really adamant about this. People come to the gym often and they call it the rehab model. Doctor mm -hmm. says I need to get some work, you know, some, some, my heart rate up. Doctor says I need to lose some weight. So I'm coming to mm -hmm. the gym. I look better. So I'm coming to the gym. You know, we don't want kids doing that. We don't want kids coming to the gym because someone thinks they need to move more. What we want to do is develop kids who, uh, we want to use the gym to develop kids who see the world as an opportunity. They move for life. They move from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, because they're interested in moving and movement is part of their life. Mm -hmm. so it's a really different um, mindset about why you're doing this. You have the goal of doing what's best for kids. You have that mindset and then you have outcomes. You have 20 years. I mean, I can show you kids who started with us when they're four years old. One of our young ladies, the last, last group that come through our school or our, our gym Started when she was four years old, um, 18 years old, went to, uh, got accepted to UCLA. So she, 14 years in the Brand X method, decided on the lark, hey, I'd like to row. So hmm. UCLA, D D1 school, walked onto their rowing team, made the varsity boat her wow. year, never having rowed before. Hmm. That's, you know, I can show you products of that. I can show you one kid after another that, that that's done that. I can show you kids um, speaking to, to uh Keegan's point about developing not just the, the physical side, but the emotional and the, and the character side. I can show you kids who you know, got into MIT, got into West Point, got into, got into um, the, uh, the Air Force Academy, got into UCLA, UCSD. I mean, it just prestigious schools. Yeah. I can show you, you know, eight kids that have, were valedictorians and another five that were salutatorians in our, in our, in our you know, 18 years. That's, those are outcomes. There probably are fads without yeah, them. Yeah, there's not a lot of fads with those kind of <laughs> yeah. outcomes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they'd stop being a fad. They would start being something that people yeah. want to, you know, continue to do. And and what we're seeing now out of the labs is the same kind of thing. You know, we got a, um, one of the labs sent a thing. They got a, one of their kids got a scholarship to go play soccer. Another kid got into West Point. You know, so mm -hmm. starting to see what we wanted to see, which is standardized outcomes. And I think that fights the, the, the fad. Yeah, I agree. And those are the outcomes the kids and the families want. I think that's enlarged just due to the guidance that we provide as a company, right? Because there's there's inside of the, the, the fitness industry for, for children, you look at, you know, what's out there right now and everybody's kind of creating their own things and their own ideas as to what's 
the best model. And it's true even when you look at those same programs for adults as well. It's like, okay, you know, this produced a, a single great athlete in the sport of fitness. We all have to do that program because it's got to be the best one. Right. And then it's just producing mm-hmm. a million different outcomes. And then everybody has their own idea as to what might be the best program. And everybody's kind of chasing this really, um, this, this, this not a single target. Right. And so as a company, we've mm-hmm. tried to make that, you know, disappear completely by saying, Hey, follow this. And if you do this from the beginning and then you add step two and then you add step three and then you add step four, if you have a kid at five years old that enters a TBXM training facility, this is what you'll get by the time they graduate. If they enter when they're 10 years old, this is what you'll get by the time they graduate. And, and having those standardized outcomes as a company has, has really given us a, a large amount of visibility because everybody starts to recognize that. We're pretty quiet about what we, the, the outcomes. You know, when somebody comes and talks to us like this, we'll be happy to talk to them. We don't really get on the social media and, and, and like blare that all the time. But mm-hmm. there's... The, the, the school side, the valedictorian side, the, the continuing going into, you know, really prestigious schools on the physical side, you know, uh, 90% of the kids who were in our programs were either um, not in traditional athletics or were disenfranchised from sport. Hmm. And we, those kids, and we had, I think it was well over a hundred state and national powerlifting records with those, with those kids. Yeah. That's, kids who are working out kids who finding passion in, in, and success in sport, you know, and um, we're seeing that passed down now to other people running our program. Now, why do you think they may have been disenfranchised from sport? Just, have any, have any uh, guesses? Broken yeah. system. Yeah. Our sports system. I, I don't think this is news to anybody. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. Keegan, do you have any ideas on that? <laughs> well, there's quite a bit, right? Um, yeah, I think as far as the, the, the sports stuff goes, um, right now, the largest one that you see is burnout. Kids get disenfranchised mm-hmm. just because they get over it because they're practicing the exact same thing for three hours a day, um, you know, five days out of the week. And then there's no longer like seasons like there used to be, right? There used to be a, a yep. you know, spring season or winter season or summer season, Um, and specific sports fell into those categories of seasons. Whereas now in order to make the next team to graduate to the next level, you have to start with a single sport and those seasons are year round. So kids are playing the exact same thing over and over again for multiple hours, every single day, 365, they just get burnt out. Right. And I think the perfect example Mm -hmm. of that, um, the sport of gymnastics, I use this all the time as an example for that. Right. You, how many young ladies in the U S are doing gymnastics when they're, when they're four years old, like all of them, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then by the right. time they're 16, how many of them are doing them? It's the ones that are on the Olympic team. They're no longer mm-hmm. doing it. Why? Cause they all dropped out because they're doing the exact same things over and over again for multiple hours, every single day, 365 days out of the year. And that's not fun. It's not mm-hmm. fun for kids. You start no. to see kids fall out because of that. I think that speaks you know, mostly to, uh, to the point of what, what my dad was talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard you mention physical literacy quite a few times now, and I'm a PE teacher and I don't even hear that phrase thrown out there that often, which is sad to me. I hear it in Canada more often than in the U S when I hear Canadian teachers talk about it. 
Um, but very few PE teachers I know ever even use the term physical literacy. And I just think that's a huge component that we're missing out on as teachers because that's really what I believe our job in schools should be more focused on. But we're not even talking about it. Well, it certainly should be like, you know, it's the basis of athleticism. It's the basis mm -hmm. of moving well and moving and being and having movement for life. So um, certainly at the elementary school age, kids should be being exposed to this. Um, mm -hmm. And, and Keegs, why don't you, you or Mickey can talk about what exactly physical literacy is, what the definition of it is, and, and kind of why it's important for, for kids. Yeah. So, so physical literacy is, it's the ability to interact with the environment around you. And it's characterized by your physical competence confidence and motivation, as well as the knowledge and understanding to pursue the broadest range of physical abilities throughout a lifetime. And so ultimately, that's what we're trying to develop when it comes to the physical side of things with children in our in our program. And there's three major pieces that I like to pull out of that quote when I start to talk about uh, this concept to coaches. Uh, number one is the uh, the competence of a child. Two would be the confidence and then three motivation for them to move, right? So those become cornerstones of our program, developing competence in children, competence in movement, making them more confident in themselves, and then motivating them to want to pursue a broad range of physical tasks. I, in, in practice, uh, I'll tell you, when I started looking at, and it was the Canadians, Brian, looking okay. at the, um, physical literacy websites. Yep. So much information out there and we're, we're expanding. How do we um, embed this into our existing functional primal movement um, sort of catalog? How do we mm -hmm. push more physical literacy into that? And so I'm looking at all their definitions and they're varied and dense definitions, as you know, as a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but we pulled out some, some basic things. And I'll, I'll tell you, when I started to put that into my kids' class, and, that, and this is kids like 5 to 12, I just took some basic things, uh, kicking, throwing, uh, mirroring, rolling, carrying, throwing. Mm -hmm. That's what I started with. I did okay. these things. And I'm going to put them in there. And I thought, they're going to know how to do this. This is kind of <laughs> funny. I've got these kids who can, you know, do these you know, thrusters and they're soccer players yeah. and they can sprint and they can bear crawl and they can do that. This is going to be silly and they're going to hate it, but I'm going to try putting it in there. Blew my mind. Hmm. Uh, here's a ball. I'm going to put it five meters from a wall and I'm going to ask you to kick it with the inside of your foot at the first station. At the next station, I want you to turn and kick it with your toe. At the following station, I want you to turn again, kick it with the outside of your foot and we're going to just run everybody through this as part of our warm-up. <laughs> so, Not what you expected. <sighs> I, I was blown away. I, so many kids had no capacity. They didn't even know what I meant by the inside or the outside of your foot. Um, they had never tried to kick a ball in any way other than what a coach had told them to do on the field, um, if they had that experience. And um, that just played out in every one of these very basic physical literacy things. And um, I think sometimes in live courses, we relate to a story at a 
very well-known competition where somebody had trouble throwing the ball. I know that. That, 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 does, that does kind of make you stop and go, what happened there, right? Yeah. So, um, And we do see that over and over again in high-level athletics. We've had lots of kids come in who we would who were stars who were not physically literate and that that weird um, juxtaposition is is hard to conceive of and I can tell you it's mind blowing to a parent who thinks their kid's a superstar when you say but he can't jump without knocking his knees together yeah. or he can't actually throw underhand he's never done that or anything that we consider really basic library of human movement stuff that we so it's got to be taught and rolling back to your other other question about um kids being disenfranchised from sport there's an offshoot of that that, that's really um really sad and really critical and and critical that we address Mm. and the one that mickey said you have a kid who's a star at something so they're a star at at baseball and they're a star at baseball they can't squat they can't pick stuff up off the ground they can't run further than the baseline they you know they they don't have they have abilities within that that small game of, of baseball mm-hmm. they play through high school they don't make it to college and that now that kid goes what do i do they don't have they don't have without physical literacy they don't have the ability then to step into another sport or activity because they just simply don't have the tools to and that's another another really big problem um, that people aren't seeing with the early specialization in sports and the the single sport that Keegan was talking about. Mm -hmm. Keegan, you have something else to add? Yeah, to speak to that point as well, right? Like I think they they have those sports-specific skills because that's what they're practicing constantly um, where they they, they lack a a solid base. And the problem with the industry right now is the fact that their um, definition of a solid base for fitness is completely flawed. And the reason, uh, the reason being, you look at that, um, that example that my mom gave of um, a formerly crowned fittest person on earth, failing to throw a ball 30 yards. Um, Mm -hmm. That person hadn't practiced moving in multiple planes. And you look at, uh, you know, what are, what are the the industry as a whole is after right now. And and in large, it's, it's power output and power output defining your level of fitness or how good you are. Um, you know, as, as it, it, it defines everything as far as your fitness level is how much power output you're producing. Um, and so we've started to stay away from things that are hard to measure power output through. Um, for instance, you know, throwing a ball, kicking a ball, catching a ball, um, climbing a wall, um, you know, moving in multiple planes, multiple directions. And we've stuck to things that are straight up and down because they're easy to measure in terms of power output and in terms of mm. time that it takes to, uh, to accomplish. So you look at things like um, toes to bar, clean and jerk, snatches, box jumps, muscle ups, um, everything inside of the gym at classic training now is happening straight up and down. It's not happening side to side. It's not happening forward and backwards. It's definitely not spinning, right? So we're missing interaction mm. with the environment, which is just the first piece of physical literacy. Um, and, and that's a, that's a huge part of our program that we, that we absolutely aim to include is moving in as many different ways as we possibly can and getting kids to fully understand how to interact with their environment before doing that quickly, heavier for more repetitions, et cetera. We, we 
do what, or encourage what we call movement solutions. So solving a movement problem. So allowing a child to come up with, how am I going to get over that wall of boxes that you created and get to the other side of the gym and do my five push-ups and I get over it again? We can have them, we can give them movement problems to solve however they choose to do it. Mm-hmm. And at, thereafter, we can have a group discussion about, hey, I saw 12 different ways to get over that wall. And we can talk about it. We can share and learn from each other that there are so many ways to address this a single problem and that has so much carryover into um, other things, right? Mm-hmm. Learn to think creatively and to have the confidence in an environment to try something new. So some kids will kind of crawl up, jump on the box, <laughs> go over other yep. kids, totally learning how to hurdle. Other kids can just leap over it and, mm-hmm. and they test themselves. So some of what we're doing also to encourage physical literacy and movement solution development is to not give them as many rules. So we we want to give them the ability to choose for themselves how to solve the problem. And um, that that's also something new and out of the confines of what we normally see. We had a video up this morning on our Instagram, but this is a video probably from probably from 2012 and okay. it's uh, a bar and there's a 20 pounds bag and I've got a group of kids. I think they're probably 11, 12 years old and they have to pick the bag up and have to throw the bag over the bar. And it was just, you have a team of three, you're going to do this and you're going to get it over the bar X number of times. And you're going to go do something else. Mm-hmm. There's no instruction on how to get the bar, the, the bag from the ground to the shoulders. There's no instruction on how to get the bar bag over the bar. They just need to figure it out. Yep. This is after which is great well, right right so so but you what you saw was um in the, in the video what you see is there's two kids who get you know kind of set their back come down grab the bar fall come here and then use their body and then you have another kid who kind of bends at the waist and kind of grabs the thing and picks it up and kind of it kind of flops over the bar mm-hmm. you know, the, there's discussions there at the end of class like hey how could you have been more efficient well i could have done this i could have done that and and um but what you're allowing for is them to experiment and figure out what, what works. And, mm-hmm. um, and from that experimentation, they learn things like what, what's most efficient. That, that's our whole uh, push on play as well. Yep. Yeah. Cause that's where you can develop all that. Right. Exploration and experimentation and the magic that happens when you allow for that with mm-hmm. unusual circumstance and there are no rules, no guidelines. No, we want, we want to encourage that. So mm-hmm. another way we can do it. Yeah. Uh, I guess before we get into talking about play a little bit, why do you guys think there is that movement gap as you called it? Do you think that's um, us dropping the ball as educators or is it parents? Is it a combination? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, have you read any of Dr. Jean Twenge? No. Professor at SDSU. Lots of prolific in writing about uh, the past few generations and sort of defining them. This one she calls iGen. And this is a generation that grew up with a phone that was connected to the internet starting in what, 2011, which is really intriguing to us because 2012 is when we saw movement gaps so clearly. Okay. So what happened? 
um, and delving into the research and what sociologists and psychologists are talking about, we mm -hmm. see that um, it's a generation that has a very different social protocol. Um, and getting together with your friends in the ways that were happening before hasn't happened now. Um, and it's not just, so there's a social aspect, but the physical aspect is not just that um, we don't, we don't say tech is bad. Don't be on your phone. That's not what we're saying. Hmm. That's part of life. It's going to only grow. So yep. we really fight that battle. We have to sort of join it. Um, what we do say is it's time where they need to be doing something else. So what we don't want to have done or we don't want to continue to do is replace things like play and movement with tech time, with immobile, sedentary tech time. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's what we saw happen. And, that's, and there's much that's been written about it. It's unproductive to say it's parents' fault or it's educators' fault. It's just it's just it's going down that road doesn't produce any results that we want. What we want to do is understand that the culture has changed, mm -hmm. and because the culture has changed, things are things are different, and we need to and, and as educators, parents, and and, and 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 coaches, we need to address the fact that the culture has, has changed. Not simply come back in and go like, well, this is what we do. We got to go like, okay, I've got to address the fact that this kid has never gotten down on the ground and bear crawled. I've got to teach him how to do that. Or mm -hmm. never has had a moment of free play in their right. lives. So how yep. do we put that into our program? It's just another doing what's best for kids. And I guess that's the crossroads that I'm getting at now is how do we give kids more opportunities to play so that it's not just if they go to a brand X training center, it's not just playing with their parents. How do, how do we do that? How do we get them to develop those skills like Keegan talked about where you're moving in different planes? It's not just in one direction. Being outside with your friends, like, please take the creepy level out of this. If I say I'm watching kids, yeah. but if I'm watching in a situation just outside together, they're always playing. They're dragging a stick. They're jumping up on a on a wall. They're jumping over the wall. They're uh, testing each other who can jump over the wall faster. Um, mm -hmm. I can backflip. Haha! You weren't looking. I threw a foil ball at you. There is stuff going on all the time, organically. So all they need is space from pressures of schedules and timelines and rules and parents watching and coaches watching all of the time. They need moments of being in the zone where they can experience all the magic of play. Um, so it's, it's really allowing their schedules to have the time for it. And I, I think mostly we were so overscheduled for our kids that they don't get that time. We don't have to teach them. It's natural. Um, all, all animals play. And the ones that have the best uh, survival mechanisms play a lot. And there's a reason for that. It's, mm -hmm. It is practicing what you need as a species. So if we, as humans, stop practicing what we need as a species, it's going to have some results we I don't think we want to see. So, so just making space for that organic play outside with your friends. You know, it parents, has to be I mean, inside. It can yeah. happen inside, you know, okay. in a rec room or a basement can for sure you've got mm -hmm. two 
parents, teachers, coaches, parents, tell your kids to go outside and play. I think you know, Keegan heard that enough. Or, <laughs> you know, get you know, set up times where kids are going to go to a park together and throw a ball out and say play. Mm-hmm. Don't give them rules. Just tell them to play. You know, set something up. Be be proactive there. Teachers develop a cur- curriculum that allows kids within the confines of your class to play, to, to create and to play. And then coaches think about, you know, within our, within our program, we, we, we set aside time to do this, but think about uh, like a soccer coach come in, you, you do, you know, an hour of, of soccer drills and soccer practice, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of that soccer practice, how about if you took 15 minutes of just throwing the ball out to the kids and say, make up your own game. Here's three cones. Here's a ball. Uh, you, you, and you, you're on a team. You, you, and you, you're on a team. Develop your own own rules. Well, things would be quite different mm-hmm. if we did that. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of people are worried to do that. As far as what I've seen, it's almost like they think if, if they do that, if they throw the ball out, even after they've done an hour of practice, if they throw it out and say, make up your own game, they either, I think they either have a fear that they're losing out on valuable time and that this play is going to be a waste of time, or they think they're being lazy in some shape or form. That's what I'm, that's what I'm assuming sometimes. It will not be a waste of time for your eight-year-old and his current season. It will not be a waste of time for your eight-year-old and his lifelong love of movement and, and, mm. and sport. And exactly. So mm. play reduces anxiety helps people deal with new situations. Um, there's a lot of research out there also on lack of play and all the negative mental health effects mm-hmm. and having play and all the positive mental health effects. And I think it's pretty clear that our society has some serious um, mental health issues that are growing. So taking a look at how we could address those better in the future, how we could help people better in the future is going back to some of those things that um, are proven to help with cooperation, collaboration, creativity, um, reduction in anxiety and stress. Um, that's not a waste. It shouldn't no, be thought. I agree. Be let me, let me for a second too, Brian, because I think the original, the original question too, just to, to like summarize everything that we've just said is um, my mom had, had an awesome quote. Um, it's, it's not, technology, right? It's like, that's not the problem. The problem is what technology replaces for kids. And I think collectively as a, as a society, whether we're parents, we're, we're teachers, we're coaches, we need to actively facilitate time for kids to play and to move. And we need to actively make it mm-hmm. just a part of their day. Right. And I think that as, as you know, something, something that we've constantly tried to do as, as a company is take movement and restore it to the vital place in society where it belongs. It's just a part of our day. It's what we do as human beings, right? Like as, as sure as the sun is going to come up and it's going to set, we're going to move that day in one way, shape or another, we're going to play, we're going to move. And I think just facilitating that for kids and being, you know, the ones that actively seek that out as, as parents, teachers, and coaches, that that's how we win. In the, in the youth fitness, I, I think that's, that's a great wrap-up of it. I think mm-hmm. in the youth fitness space, a couple things are are um, confused because of the words we use. So we say play, and what we mean by play is free play. No rules. Here's a ball. Play play a game for X number. You know, we're going to play for 
however long. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of equate it to the same word as like when we say to somebody, what's your diet like? And they start, you know, well, I'm on this paleo diet and I do this, this, this. No, I'm just asking how you eat. Yeah. You know, people say, you know, they can, the, the, the problem here with the word play is we have so many people whose kids are scheduled, as Keegan said, to play 365, you know. Yep. Three day, three hours a day, 365 days a year, and we're playing a sport. That's that is. If you take your range over here, being free play over here, being a sport. The the on on the on the on this uh, the spectrum of play, this doesn't have a whole the the, the sport doesn't have a whole lot of um, of the benefits that Mickey Keegan were expressing about. Mental health benefits and things like that. If you think of that traditional kids' uh, basketball game, there's a lot of rules. There's expectations. There's timelines. There's whistles. There's uh, there's your uh, team. There's people watching. There's a lot of stress there, mm-hmm. and that's the opposite of an environment of free play, where you have no stress, no rules. It's organic. Everybody has to cooperate, or you just leave, right? So. I'll take my ball and going home, right? Because nobody, yeah. you have to, you have to figure things out. It's, there really are very opposite things, but we're not saying that sport doesn't have some fantastic qualities. We're saying it's awesome, but mm-hmm. the balance, the balance to that, and things should have balance, is free play. We were approached recently by a, a district. They, they told us that um, they are recognizing the mental health problems of, of lack of play and lack of physical education in their kids. And that, that they had hired in the last like three years, they'd hired 19 psychologists to travel around and they're going down to the elementary and middle school. And they're attributing it specifically to the lack of this, of, of play. play. Yeah. Free play, unstructured play. Right. And, and, and the teaching of resilience. Yeah, so to, I mean, to steal one from you guys, one thing that I that I love that you guys, a model that you follow and that you repeatedly say over and over is the whole prepare, practice, play. I think that's very beautifully said and it's so simple, but if we could follow that more often just in everyday life, man, we'd see some huge improvements. Yeah, it's a, it is a coach's roadmap, but it's also easy for a child to understand. Yep. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to prepare to move. Then I'm going to practice something important about what I'm going to do. Then I'm going to play with that movement. Mm-hmm. That's that's a cool way to think about moving. And 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 as you said, adults through life think about yep. moving that way too. Now I like to go off board by programming a little and do something just because I think it's fun once in a while. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's important that you do let yourself do that because of that element of having play in your life somehow. Um. Yep. I, I think for teachers, it's it's difficult sometimes because we have curriculums. Sometimes that curriculum is set by your district. Sometimes it's, um, I guess, I don't want to say mandated, but sometimes it is by your state or the government. And sometimes you can make it up on your own, but it's hard to weave in play or free unstructured play when it seems like there's all these boxes you have to check and things that you have to do, whether it's phys ed, math class, chemistry, whatever it is. Yeah. It's a, it's such a, it's a hard, 
hard thing to address because of what you're saying. First, you have all these requirements, and then it is different in every single county, state, country, territory. Yep. Um, so it, it is sort of a conundrum, but I think most teachers we talk to are really imaginative and have found mm-hmm. to work something in. Now, it's not going to be complete organic free play. That, that kind of has to be worked in in a child's life by who's ever caring for that child. But we can work in what we call movement play. So an- another concept that I've heard you guys say, and I think I've heard Keegan say this too, is uh, explore, express, and excel. Do you guys want to explain that philosophy that you have? Yeah, those are uh, stages that we've grouped and kind of categorized in terms of development of children. Um, and what's available to them in terms of what they can actually express with their training. So on a scale, if you look at um, types of contractions, aerobic to anaerobic, and think of their progression in developing systems and the hormones that come along with that from three years old to 18 years old, there's there's, um, different groupings of what they can actually physically do and what training should look like based upon that. So uh, Explore is three to eight years old, um, mostly aerobic contractions. Uh, Eight to 12 years old is our Express. Um, Starting to learn, uh, you know, pacing and starting to learn that there's more than just the ability to move quickly all the time and and sustain that. But now there's another gear that allows them to push a little bit Mm -hmm. harder and they have to learn how to react with that. And, and actually how that, how that kind of feels and they have to train that and, and see if they can sustain that pace or if it's unsustainable. Um, so they're learning through that period, that transition. Uh, and then 12 to 18 years old um, is our Excel group. Okay. So generally have the full availability of all of the contractions, you know, as they move through that. And you guys apply that to nutrition as well, right? I think I've heard you talk about that too. We have another concept, base build boost. Oh, okay. That's what I must be. And you know, talked about that because he was kind of instrumental in that. And we use that idea of base build boost with movement as well, but start with nutrition peaks. Yeah. So just trying to kind of give you a a background on, on base build boost, base build boost speaks to more than just movement to us. You know, we've talked about our concept of developing the whole child um, and, and, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, um, when we're speaking about resilience, when we're speaking about nutrition, uh, base build boost is a concept that we use that speaks to, um, giving children a solid foundation, building upon that, and then boosting them towards success in whatever aspect it is that we're trying to teach them. So whether that is nutrition, whether that's resilience, whether that's, a, you know, a physical, um, movement itself, we start with a base we build upon that and then we boost them towards success. Um, so that's base build boost. But in terms of nutrition with children, we utilize that model exactly. Um, and not to you know give away the farm in, in terms of what's inside of our training online, but uh, giving them a base is just kind of introducing them to foods, uh, giving them an understanding of what foods actually are and what they do. Building upon that, we might start to talk to them a little bit about uh, portions and get them to start to under, understand that uh, everybody's different and how foods might interact with your body may be different for somebody um, as than it is to you. Um, and then boosting them for, for mm-hmm. performance, if they so choose in terms of their nutrition, would be starting to understand macronutrients, uh, quantities, um, and even performance. 
with everything that we do, we focus on the, the, the bottom piece base um, and, and giving them just a broad understanding of what foods actually are uh, and just kind of giving them that as, as education. You know, we uh, from the beginning have always been focused on, on building a solid foundation and then building upon that foundation uh, to move forward and making sure that that foundation is solid and that it's perfect. Yeah. And, and that's, what's tricky. I think about talking about nutrition with kids because you don't want them in the past when I've tried to talk to them about it, I am always nervous because I don't want them to go home and go up to their parents and say, Mr. Lang told me that I have to throw away this, that, and that, or he's telling me that we have to go buy certain things that maybe their parents don't think they can afford or don't want to buy. So it's, you always have to tread carefully, but I think you guys break things down so simply that it, it does make it easier to have those conversations. You're right. There's a lot to think about because people are so emotionally attached to food and mm -hmm. parents in totally differing um, situations. And you don't know, maybe they can only afford a cup of noodles and that's so their kids have to eat a cup of noodles and that's it. Yep. Um, so it is, it is fraught with um, concerns but giving them the education, we have found kids where, where as they grew older, they would contact us and reach out because they were making the decisions on their own now. They, they were driving, you know, maybe around age 16. They could walk to the local quick sack or restaurant and make a choice um, without mom or dad. And um, then that we found that they would, they would come to us because they knew we were going to try and help them. Mm -hmm. um, my two choices, which should I pick? No, it's sometimes just as simple as that. Keegan, Keegan came up with this, uh, applying the idea of base build boost to nutrition. And I think it was um, brilliant, if I, if I say so. <laughs> I agree. Brilliant. Because uh, partially it addresses what you were talking about. Like if you're talking about the base, and this is kids from age three to, to, to eight to 10, you know, that kind of that age group, you're just telling them, look, this is an apple. This is a watermelon. This is celery. You know, you're just helping them identify what real food is. And you're not attaching any kind of value. You're not talking to them about what, you know, what's good, what's bad. What's, you're just going, look, this is what this is. And this is, you know, this is a carbohydrate. And, and, and now you, know, you start to remove that um, emotional um, discussion from, from that we all had, and we all tried it. I mean, you know, for, we did this for 20 years in the gym and, you know, you line the kids up and you talk about this is bad food. This is good food. And they go, wow, that didn't work mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. You know, what, you know, coach Jeff said this bad food. Well, they don't even know what the food is because they didn't know what a, you know, they'd never seen a you know, peach before. Once mm -hmm. in, in shocker, it doesn't work with adults either. Yeah. Weird. Right. It's, it's the same concept. You tell an adult, Oh, you can't eat this food. You can't do this. This is a bad food. What's the first thing that they're going to go to when they're off that specific diet? Um, it, it all comes back to education. And that's why we're so big on just that beginning piece. This is what this is. This is how it interacts with your body. Now, once you have that basic understanding, let's talk about how often these things should be eaten to make us feel good. Mm -hmm. And then when you're at a level where maybe you're competitive in sport, let's talk about how often these things should be eaten to make us perform better. If that's what we want to do. This reminds me of the movement gap that you guys talked about where I'd almost call it a nutrition gap because you have, you have so many 
resources out there now with there's the keto diet, paleo diet, like we talked about. And there are kids that know those diets and they know them because their parents are on them or because people they know are doing them, but yet they don't know the very simple base, basic principles of nutrition that you guys are talking about. So we have kids that now want to be keto or a plant-based diet, but they don't really know why because they didn't, they never got that understanding in the base level. Right. That's really true. I think, I think that just the way that information is served now, that, that that's, a high probability that that will continue. And where are they? Mm-hmm. Where are they really moving to? They're really moving out past boost. Yep. And we see that same thing with movement. When you apply this idea to, to movement, you know, base, we're, we're, we're looking at uh, teaching a child body awareness and to solidify their, their movement pattern training. But where does the coaches want to put the kid? I want them to snatch. You know, that's out in boost somewhere. You know, that's way out there. We need to solidify the very basics, no matter we're talking about nutrition, movement, or, or learning in general, the very basics are the things that you build quality um, or the ability to, to um, move uh, for a long period of time, forward a long period of time. Um, is You only can have that if you have built the base solidly. Largely trying to avoid those fads as well, right? Like you use the term, the keto diet. I think a lot of people now are jumping into that because they see a certain result, um, but they don't understand what's actually happening, right? And so it always comes back to education because a lot of times you see people following a keto diet and they're doing a, a primarily glycolytic type training system. So your body actually doesn't have fuel to, to, to feed what you're actually trying to accomplish inside of the gym. You're just kind of the, the, the training doesn't even make sense to what you're doing in terms of fueling your body. You have to educate yourself on what food is, how it makes you feel and kind of figure out individually from there, you know, what makes you operate at a high level. And that's, that's what we try and do with kids is just teach them about food, you know, teach them uh, what it does for your body, what it provides for you, and then let them start to figure out how it makes them feel. And if they choose you know, let's talk about performance and let's talk about utilizing fuel for performance. One of the things that I'm guessing if we have any educators listening to this when it comes out, one of the things they're going to be asking themselves is how do we implement this stuff at school? So if we have any of those people on here and they're interested in the Brand X method, what advice do you have for them? Even even before they interact with you, what advice do you have for them as far as just getting buy-in from administrators and policymakers? Because you guys have worked with schools and are working with schools. Have, what, how have you dealt with some of those hurdles that may come up? As we talked about earlier, it's different in every county and state and, and uh, so forth and so on. So that makes that question really kind of nebulous. But mm-hmm. teachers generally have a vision, a pain point, right? Just like gyms do or people are concerned about kids. They have a pain point. They are seeing kids not grow physically. They're seeing what they see as a slide into something much less than what they remember or have seen in the past. And they're seeing the results of sports, high sports injury and burnout, and then also sedentary lifestyles and all the things that come with that. So I think they're very motivated. Um, the teachers are very motivated. The administrators are very motivated because they want to solve the problem for the district. Mm-hmm. They, they really 
want to see change. And it's a, they also see the ramifications of low, low sort of level physicality mentally. So they see mental health problems growing. They see some academic deficits related to lack of movement. So they want to solve it. So just talking to them about how we solve that, how we present tiered movement, tiered and progressive basic movement patterning, and, and how we um, incorporate things like play to help with mental health, how we teach resilience to help with growth, um, how we are very concerned about what's biopsychosocially appropriate at all levels, as they are as teachers. I mean, that we're speaking that language already. Sometimes coaches that go, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, but teachers are pretty well aware of that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, just letting them know that we understand how to progress kids in the way they want to, and that we have outcomes to show that we can do that. I think um, I appreciate everything you just said, but I would, I would also kind of take a twist on that, and I would begin with the positive. What do we want to have kids what do we want to prepare kids for? Because mm-hmm. we want the part of the problem is what we've seen is, you know, kids are getting overweight. So we need to work out. Well, we don't want an, an eight year old to see the gym as I got to go to the gym because I'm overweight. True. We want to see that we want them to be moving and to be, because it helps them in school. It, it creates a lifetime pattern of, 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 of health. Um, it, it creates a, you know, a child that moves to, um, is, is generally more, uh, finds a more fulfillment in life. So I don't just come home from work and sit down. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have activities I like to do. I have things that stimulate my brain because I go out and I do things. Mm-hmm. Those kids we want to build up. And so, so taking um, – those ideas, like this is where we want to go with our, with our, with our PE program. This is what we want to produce out of our PE program out of, because of that, because we want to get here, we need to do all the things that Mickey said. We need to provide play. We need to have, we need to talk about physical literacy. We need to do these things. Guess what we're going to get out of that healthy kids mentally and and psychologically. We're going to get kids who are um, healthier in, um, in, in their body. And we're going to get kids who perform better at school. And, and I can show you all of those things with, with studies and, and, and reports on this. But if we focus on the positive, this is where we want to go with this. What do we want to produce out of our program? Do we want to produce a kid who, who you know, knows the rules of basketball or do we want a kid, a kid who wants to play basketball and, and various sports for the rest of his life? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Well, thank you guys very much for all that. Is there anything else? you guys want to make sure people know about, or do you want to talk about before we sign off? I don't want to, I want to make sure that I let you guys have a chance to share what you want to share. We have a free product called our youth trainer toolkit. And all you have to do is email us and we'll send that off to you. It's a real uh, introduction to what we do. Um, awesome. but we have also a whole array of educational products. Um, and now some um, school specific ones. Uh, but our professional youth coaching course is our, what would you call that? Premier product. Premier product. Okay. And that really, this is all the things that we have learned. Here are the principles of how to coach kids. It's the number one thing. If you ask me, what are the, what are the real problems when people are trying to start a youth program? 
mm-hmm. lack of training, um, not be de- not being developmentally appropriate, and not taking a long view. Those kind of those kind of things. I think that the the, um, the professional youth coaching certification really gives you a foundation on on how to how to move um, or how to start a program, how to move your program forward. What's different about us beyond the fact that we're really looking at research and trying to always expand what is good for kids or best for kids is that mm-hmm. we're very passionate about what we do and we're all really accessible. All of us have an email, Nikki, Jeff, Keegan at thebrandxmethod.com and we answer every email we get. So, and I think in a pretty good timeline too. So. Yeah, I would agree. If you have questions, um, our Instagram is uh, the place where we put what's currently going on. Um, and we do have right now a lot of resources for the at-home situation. We're giving out uh, three months of programming. Wow. Can anybody ask for it for both kids and teens for at-home situations? Um, we also run, I run a kids class on Fridays at 9 a.m., a little Zoom class for younger set. Um, just to make sure kids are moving and uh, maintain their interest in being physical during this time. And then we also have created a teen fitness league, which is an at-home body weight series of online competition for kids 10 to 18. Um, And we just launched that, had a pretty good launch. Um, We're starting the second series and signups will start uh, May 15th for the second series. Um, And we've gotten some really good feedback. Kids are saying, Thank you. You gave me something to do and focus on. Well, and I was feeling really isolated till you did this. And so we're really happy with the results if we're helping keep those kids out there moving and engaged. All right. Well, thank you guys again for uh, coming on to the show. I really appreciate it. I'm, I didn't quite say this earlier, but part of the reason why I even started this whole process of creating movers in a podcast and everything was because of people like you guys. Because you've inspired me since I started teaching years ago just to try to do what's best for kids as far as movement goes. And just the fact that you're still hanging in there and you're making great strides and offering great content and great stuff for the kids. I just love that. So it really meant a lot that you guys were willing to do this. We can't do what we do without other people saying, oh, I need to go help my kids, you know, my community. So we think it's awesome what you're doing as well. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah.